How far I'm UK and this is the ITK podcast. The Ghana Must Go Bag is an icon. For many people back in West Africa, it's a cheap bag you can get anywhere. While for others in the diaspora, it's a sign your Uncle Peter from the village has come to visit. Either way, when you hear the phrase Ghana Must Go, you automatically know what is being referred to. Today on the podcast, we're going to look at why the bag got that name and in true ITK fashion, learn about the context of the times. The late 70s to early 80s in Nigeria was an interesting period. After the end of the Civil War, the country underwent an oil boom. As money rushed into the economy as a result of crude export, you had migrants flocking into the country from various West African countries in search of greener pastures. However, the global oil markets during the period we're examining was in a downturn and with it, the Nigerian economy too. Now, thanks to incompetence and corruption on the side of Nigerian immigration officials, the majority of the migrants in the country were in there illegally. Events in Kano would soon change everything thanks to a guy called Mohamed Marwa. Mohamed Marwa was a Cameroonian Muslim who had been operating in Kano since the 1950s. He led a sect called Maitatsine and was constantly in conflict with the religious and political leaders of Kanu through the 60s and 70s. His teachings got more outrageous when in 1979, Marwa declared himself to be a prophet of God and sought to be treated as the prophet Muhammad. This move obviously was rejected by Orthodox Muslims in Kanu at the time as heretical. Marwa being the edgelord he was, decided to up the ante by issuing a condemnation of the Quran and the Prophet Muhammad. He asked his followers when reading the Quran to substitute his name for the prophets. Not stopping there, he declared anyone that used a bicycle, motorcycle, or used the phrase Allahu Akbar in their prayers as pagans. At this point, I'm sure you're shocked as to why a wholesome guy like Mohammed Marwa would have been having trouble with religious leaders in the city for over two decades. Things boiled over when Marwa and his growing sect would randomly seize plots of land in Kano to build houses and places to worship. The then governor of Kano state, Abubakar Rimi, sent Marwa a letter on November 6, 1960 warning him to vacate the latest plot of land he had just seized illegally. Marwa, being the ray of sunshine he was, decided not to take kindly to this act of provocation. One could say he wasn't gonna take it lying down. Get it? Because the title of the episode is Ghana Must Go and you know what? Let's push on. As a response to the letter, Marwa called on his followers from northern Nigeria, Cameroon, Chad, Niger, Mali, and Burkina Faso 
to come and fight against this insult. The resulting clash was the 1980 Kano riots that lasted 12 days from December 18th to the 29th. When the dust settled, 4,177 of Marwa's followers, including the man himself, had lost their lives. This was in addition to the 100 policemen and 35 military personnel who had also died. The aftermath of the riots saw illegal immigrants in the country bearing the brunt of the blame for the riots. A big reason for this was because Marwa himself was in the country illegally at the time, making it too easy to pin it on illegal immigrants as the cause for the riots. Despite the fact that majority of the participants in the riots were Nigerians themselves who had been Marwa followers. Now, while the Kano riots can be seen as the spark that led to the mass deportations from Nigeria at the time, it still begs the question, why does it seem like Ghanaians seem to have been the most targeted and affected? Well, that question has an easy answer. The relationship between Nigeria and Ghana had really deteriorated at the time. Jerry Rawlings came to power a second time in Ghana by toppling the elected civilian government led by Hila Lyman on December 31st, 1981. The Shehu Shagari administration in Nigeria at the time were not happy about this as they shared a lot philosophically with the ousted regime. The Nigerian government suspended the sale of crude oil to Ghana for four months after the coup and when they did resume, made sure transactions were cash-based only. The Rowling's administration started accusing Nigeria of planning an invasion to restore the deposed administration to power. This obviously wasn't true, but it just accelerated the breakdown of relations between both countries. Now, with all that context you just had thrown at you, let's get back to the mass deportations. On January 17, 1983, the administration through the Minister of Internal Affairs, announced that the 2 to 3 million legal immigrants in the country had 14 days to leave. Businesses in the major cities were threatened with a door-to-door -door search by the military and severe punishments if any illegals were discovered in their workforce. The hilarious part in this entire debacle was that no one in the Ministry of External Affairs was consulted during the decision-making process. All of the country's diplomats heard about this on the news the same time as everyone else. The international response to this was swift and negative across the board to the shock of apparently every Nigerian. If only Nigeria had a group of people in its employ who had experience dealing with foreign governments involved in the process. You know, they might have given everyone a heads up on how terrible this was going to come across internationally. But alas, a man can only dream. The US State Department called the decision, quote, a shocking violation of every imaginable human right. Pope John Paul II condemned the move as a grave, incredible drama producing the largest single and worst human exodus in the 20th century. Talk about being extra. 
not to be left out in all this moral virtue signaling by the Western world, Peter Both, the former South African government leader, compared Shagari to Hitler and the mass deportation order to the treatment of Jews by the Nazis. And yes, you heard that right. A massive proponent of apartheid had the gall to compare Shagari to Hitler. The irony of which I hope is making you chuckle the same way I did. It's estimated about 1 million Ghanaians were forced out of the country this way, many of whom had a difficult journey back home as Rowlings in Ghana had closed its border with Togo to block the returnees from entering the country. Togo in turn blocked its border with Bene, leaving almost a million Ghanaian returnees stranded in Bene. In order to return to their country, they had to go by boats from Cotonou. A lot of the deported Ghanaians were using the famous weave bag to hold their possessions as they returned home. Them having the largest population of returnees in addition to the harder journey back home lent infamy to the bags majority of them used. Hence the name Ghana Must Go. I can't even begin to understand the pain they went through. What do you think you're doing? Uh, I'm rounding on my recording for the episode. I know that. I meant that last point you made. We clearly agreed in your contract for this season. You can only do one pun per episode. Nothing more. I know, but after the first one, I thought, you know, I could get another good one in there. <sighs> See, you're on here for narration. Not to think, okay? Narration. We clear? Yes, sir. Good to know. Now finish up. Sorry about that, guys. My boss is such a prick. Anyways, I'm UK and this has been the ITK Podcast. Thank you.